You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's open our Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 42 because we're going to be looking this morning and considering the Word of God and and our response to it. And we're going to look at an event in Israel's history that will shine light, hopefully, and will help us to understand ourselves. So Jeremiah chapter 42, if, if you're familiar with the history, bear with me, but uh, just so we understand where we're at. And Jeremiah chapter 42, historical events have taken place that are catastrophic for the nation of Israel. At this point in chapter 42, Israel has been conquered completely by the Babylonians. So they, they came out of Egypt, they came into the land of Israel, God gave them the land, they'd been there for you know centuries but they continued to worship idols. And so they kept having uh, enemies rise up and then God would deliver them and enemies would rise up and God would deliver them. And they were just in this cycle of, we're gonna follow the Lord, we're not gonna follow the Lord, we're gonna follow the Lord, we're not gonna follow the Lord. Well, this is the end of that. That road and that whole thing is not gonna happen anymore. God put an end to it. And so the Babylonians were raised up by God. Nebuchadnezzar brought his army. They made three different forays into Israel. And on the third time, they burned down the temple. They destroyed it. They destroyed Jerusalem. They killed everybody, and whoever they didn't kill, they took away to Babylon. The northern kingdom had already fallen to the Assyrians. So if you looked at a map in Jeremiah chapter 42, there's no Israel. It's been rewritten. Babylon, Babylon looks really big on the map if you looked at a current map of Jeremiah 42. There's a handful of people left. Jeremiah's left in Jerusalem. He had been given favor by the Babylonian commander, and he was released from prison. He was actually in prison when the city fell. They found him, they brought him out, and the guy said, you can do whatever you want. I'll take you to Babylon. I'll, I'll leave you here. I'll, whatever you wanna do, you can do it. We're, we're not against you. So he's given kind of a carte blanche. The people that were hiding out in the bushes, they all came out. You know, they, There's always some small group that were in these caves or here or there, so they all come back. That's chapter 42. So if you're thinking of, if you've ever been to Israel or you think of what Israel would look like, it doesn't look like anything at this point. Everything's destroyed. Every city has fallen. Babylonians have wiped them out. So this is a group of people that if they know if God's word's gonna come true, they've seen it with their own eyes. All the warnings that Jeremiah had given them, they've all come true. And so now they come out of the woodwork, chapter 42, and they come to Jeremiah. There's a handful of these sort of renegade bands of people that have been out in the hills. And in chapter 42, verse 2, they say to Jeremiah, please let our petition be acceptable to you and pray for us to the Lord your God for all this remnant since we are left but a few of many as you can see. And pray this. This is what they were asking for, verse 3. That the Lord your God may show us the way in which we should walk and the thing that we should do. This is what you hope to hear from somebody that's in your life. Let's say you have a coworker at work, and they said, I've been working with you for the last three years on this project. I don't really know, I've never really been around a person who's a follower of God, but you seem so genuine, and I've watched what's happened in your life, and I want what you have. Could you please 
tell me what God says? Could you just share with me? I want to do what God says. Uh, this is kind of what we would wish we would hear. If you're a parent, don't you want your kid to come to you and say, I'm just hungry to know what God wants for me, mom. Will you just pray and seek the Lord and then just pour into me God's will for my life? Or as a grandmother or a grandfather or a brother or sister, if you have you know, a prodigal child, aren't you w hoping for that text message or that reaching back out to you and saying, I want to know, what does God say? What, what does God have for me? And this really is kind of a secret of life. This is, of course, a Sunday morning service, so I'm assuming this is why you came. This is you. This is your heart. We came to church because this church teaches the Bible. We want to hear from the Lord. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful Sunday in Florida. There's probably a lot of other things you could be doing right now, but you came here. And I think probably almost everybody, for the, the reason that you came was, well, I need to hear from God. I need to spend some time in God's presence and have him speak to me. I need to know what he wants to do. I'm hungry for what God wants to do in my life. So uh, that's reasonable, and it's the right thing to do. We want to know the thing that we should walk in, the thing that we should do. We're looking for direction. And thankfully, the Bible promises to give us direction, right? Very familiar verses to us. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all of your ways, and he will direct your path. He'll make your pathway clear. The Bible claims to be a lamp for your feet and a light for your path. I can't see, but God's word will, oh, look, there's the step. Or I think I'm about to step, and the, God's word says, no, don't step there. You, know, come, you need to go this way. Uh, it promises to give us wisdom. The Bible says if you lack wisdom, ask God. He'll give it to you. So we're expecting God like they were, they knew Jeremiah knew the Lord and had been speaking to them. They'd watched it all happen. God's going to speak to me. I hope that was your hope this morning. And that's my hope. That's what I was praying for. Lord, please, people are coming. They want to hear from you. They need you to speak into their lives about what they're going through. How could one person stand in front of a whole crowd of people that they, they don't know and, and hope some way to make sense to any of them? Maybe a handful, but not with the word of God. Oh, and you hold forth the word of God, every single person will hear from God. Even the person doesn't want to hear from God. Maybe you got dragged here by somebody. And you're like, look, if you'll just stop bugging me, I'll go. Even that person, hey, the word of God, it'll speak to you. So, so that's our hope. So there's nothing wrong with this story. This is amazing. So Jeremiah responds in verse 4, right, rightly so. He says, I've heard, indeed, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your words. And it will be that whatever the Lord answers you, I will declare it to you. And I will keep nothing back from you. So Jeremiah gives a great response. This is the response that a, a spiritual leader ought to give the people that are hungry to hear from God. I'll tell you everything God says. Isn't it a blessing to go to a church where the church is committed to the whole Bible? Because you could pick and choose some verses out of here and kind of lose the message, right? Just like you could send me an email and I could pick and choose out of your email what I wanted to hear and ignore some of it, right? Like if, if you, if you, that's why you get a lawyer and have a contract and the lawyer reads your contract. Like, hey, there's a part here we want to talk about this paragraph. Why? Well, because everything in the thing is important. You know, like I, I read through it. I saw a couple things I liked. I'm signing. Well, you'd never do that. Hey, the scriptures... Some of the stuff in here is super encouraging. Some of it is kind of challenging, right? Some of it is downright, uh, uh, what's the word? Painful, uh, uh, radical, transformative. If this book is true and it's really the word of God, my life is going to change radically. 
So uh, Jeremiah says, I'll tell you everything. So, so far that story's going great. Then uh, verse 5 and 6 is their response. This is a dialogue that we're looking at. So let's follow the dialogue. They respond to him in verse 5, and they say, Let the Lord be a true and a faithful witness between us. If we do not do according to everything which the Lord your God sends us by you. Notice verse 6. Whether it's pleasing or displeasing, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we send you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. That's a pretty awesome statement. I would assume on a Sunday morning at a church, even any average church in America, you'd hope, people gathering, that this would be the heart. We've come, we want to hear from God, whether it's pleasing or whether it's displeasing, if we hear from God, we're going to do what God said. Right? That, you, would, you would think, like, well, that's just, that's how you respond to the word of God. Now, as we think about this, sometimes the word of God's pleasing. There's promises in it. One of the great promises, God will cause all things to work together for good. You guys probably have that verse memorized. If you don't, it's a good one. Romans 8, verse 28. Make it your homework. Memorize that verse. And God will cause all things to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Man, that is, that is a pleasing verse. When you're going through trials, if you're here today and you're going through something outside these walls and you barely got yourself here and you thought, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know how I'm going to get through this meeting that I have scheduled for Tuesday. What's going to happen with our kid who's living at this other state and what's going on with them? And you're burdened. That's pleasant when God says, listen, you love me. I love you more than you could ever know, and I promise I will work everything together for good. Very pleasing. They also recognize sometimes the word of God is, well, not pleasing to us. I remember when I first got saved, I had never been in a church before the day I got saved. I was 17 years old. My dad's an atheist. I grew up as an atheist. Had no real interest in God. I always thought religious people were weird or like in a cult kind of that churches just wanted your money, and uh, it was for, like, weak-minded people who needed friends because they were losers. Just trying to tell you, like, kind of how I was thinking. I'm not saying that was that I thought about you because I didn't know you, but kind of. Uh, so, so I just, like, that's religious people. Like, they're messed up. They all go together with the other messed up people, and the rest of us are wakeboarding or surfing or, have, like, having a real life. And so I, I had a friend who got saved, and I didn't know anything about the Bible. We didn't have a Bible in our house. I didn't go, I'd never been to church on a Christmas or Easter. I wasn't, I had no background. So when I got saved, they gave me a Bible. And the guy who baptized me, he gave me a Bible, put a bookmark on the Gospel of John, and he, he just said, you need to read this, start right here, learn about Jesus, pray and ask God to speak to you, and then read the Bible. And I thought, okay, I can do that. And so then I started reading the Bible for the very first time. I was amazed by it. I was amazed. And I found what they said. I found some things that were pleasing. I remember a couple days later, I went to this Bible study that they were hosting. I went to their house because I had found this amazing statement. I thought, I got to show these people. I don't know that they've seen this. <laughs> so I, I'm, this is, I'm not exaggerating. Total true story. I go to the youth pastor. I go, man, I, you, I started reading where you told me. It's been a couple days. Like, I got to show you. It's right here in John 3 and uh, verse uh, 16. I don't know if you've ever seen it. <laughs> I mean, I thought I was the first person who ever found John 3, 16. 
I read, I'm like, God so loved the world, he gave us, oh my goodness, that's me. I, I won't perish, but I'll have everlasting life. I was going to perish. I'm not going to perish. God loves me. I was the first time I really thought of it. I mean, I, I, I guess I understood the gospel. My understanding of the gospel was I was a big time sinner. There was a price that was paid. I didn't really connect that it was love. And I remember that was so pleasant. Someone loves me. Someone knows exactly what I'm like, and then they love me so much that they would give their son for me. That was pleasant. The, the length, the breadth, the, the, the depth, the height, the, the love of God. I, I didn't know anything about it. So pleasant. I kept reading. And that was uh, next month. That'll be 36 years that I've been reading, doing the same thing. Now, praise the Lord, right? My Christianity hasn't, got, hasn't become more complicated than that. Now, as, a, as a, I pastor a church, like Jim mentioned, Jim and I have been teaching where we've traveled all, all over the place teaching together, and it's amazing what God's done, and I'm so, I'm so thankful that I've had this privilege. In our congregation, we're on our fourth time through the Bible. I've been there since 1992. We've gone through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation three times. We're on our fourth time, and we're currently in the book of Daniel. So I've, I've taught the Bible a lot. I, I know the Bible, but I can tell you this. There's no substitute for opening this book. And like, my, like the guy taught me, the day I got saved and said, just read the thing and God's going to speak to you. And my Christianity hasn't become more complicated than that. I, I shouldn't say it like that. There have been times when my Christianity got more complicated than that, and that was bad. <laughs> when it became professional, when it became superficial, when I wasn't doing that, or when I took a break from it, or I already know that, or you know all the things that we go through as we go along in our walk with the Lord. But when you go back to your first love, what are you going back to when you go back to your first love? When you go back to that simplicity in your relationship with God, is God speaking to you? Are you hearing? And whether it's pleasing or displeasing, are you doing it? I found that there were things in the Bible that were displeasing. Like there was a bunch of things that God's word said that I never thought of as sins, like being angry. The Bible actually said, don't be angry. I remember the first time I read that, I thought, don't be angry. What are you talking about? I got angry reading that verse. Like what, what kind of a verse is this? Slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to anger. Like what kind of verse is this? Ooh, this is, shouldn't be in the Bible. And then, oh, man, that's not pleasant because that week I'd been angry, you know? And I think, man, I, I have an anger problem that's big. Like, it's a serious anger. I didn't even know it was a sin. I thought when I got saved, I had sins I was getting rid of. Then I read, started reading the Bible. I didn't even know. <laughs> Slander apparently is a sin. Slander is one of the most wonderful experiences you can have. <laughs> I know something bad about you. I can't wait to get to church and tell everybody. Did you hear about so-and-so? There's something about the endorphins are released. It's better than exercise. I mean, right? Why does is, why is the Bible have to say not to do it? It's not because it's unpleasant. It's because you know that, and, the, and all, you're like, the conversation starts going there. You're like, oh, it's going there. Oh, it's going there. Well, just so we can pray about it, let me tell you. <laughs> why? Well, it's not pleasant. Right? You get to the Bible. What about marriage? For you ladies, you know what the Bible says about the role of a wife? Wives, submit to your husbands. That's not pleasant. I'm speaking as a husband. Okay? Ladies, I'm on your side. I know, like, the command of God to my wife is just submit to this. 
I know me. Like, no, Lord, that's not a good decision. Can you give her like an out? <laughs> Can you say like, well, he's totally a lame loser, but I got your back. You know, don't worry about it. You and I are in cahoots against him. Or, no, wives, submit your husbands as unto the Lord. That's not pleasant. It's pleasant when he's in agree agreement with you. But when you ladies know that he's wrong and everything within you is rising up going, this is the time. And then God's word comes right in your mind. It says, listen, this is, not what I, this is not how I want you to treat him. And you have to decide, am I going to do what's pleasant to me? What pleases me? Or am I going to do what God's word says? Sometimes God's word will tell you to do things that's not pleasing. And so they recognize that. And they say, whether it's pleasing to us or displeasing, verse 6, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God. This is, this is really, you know, what you want to hear someone say. And I would, I would just, if we, if we could say it honestly, if we, could, if we just had time, we went around the room and we said, okay, is this you? Is this you? Is this you? Is this you? This is, how could you improve upon this? Listen, I'm ready. I'm ready, Lord. Whatever the Lord says to me, pleasing or displeasing, count me in. That's why I came. That's what I want my life to be about. It hasn't always been about that. I make a lot of mistakes. But if you ask me what I want, this is what I want. I want my life to look like this. Now, what's great about the Bible, when you're reading through the Bible, you get to do like a, a case study like a, with a longevity. So it's not like we're living our life right now. Like if I just met you and you came up after the Bible study and I taught on this, and you said, Rich, that's me. I'm all about that. Well, see, in the Bible, you just keep reading. You're like, well, we'll find out. Let's, let's see what happens to these guys because you get to watch the story unfold. So chapter 43 tells us what happens. Chapter 43, verse 1. Now it happened when Jeremiah had stopped speaking to all the people. So we're, I'm skipping his message. He gives them the message. The message is pretty simple. I'll summarize it before we read, I guess. His message is, God doesn't want you to go to Egypt. Basically a one-point message. Don't go to Egypt. That's not my plan for you. Don't go to Egypt. Stay in the land. Babylonians aren't going to hurt you. They just destroyed everything, but they're not going to hurt you. That judgment's over. Stay here. I'll take care of you. Babylonians are not your enemy. 70 years of captivity, the people will come back. Just stay here. Don't go to Egypt. Pretty simple, straightforward message. So he finishes the message. Then uh, verse 2 Azariah, the son of Hoshiah, and Johanan, these are some of the leaders of these, this group of people that had escaped or had been hiding. And they all, all the proud men, they came and spoke to Jeremiah, verse 2. It says, you speak falsely. The Lord our God has not sent you to say, do not go to Egypt to dwell there. Did, <laughs> what did they just say in chapter 42? We'll do it, whatever God says. Good or bad, we'll do it. Jeremiah said, okay, I'll seek the Lord. God doesn't want you to go to Egypt. Not that. We're not doing that. Do you know anybody else like this? I think you do. I'm like this. Have you met me? This is, this is a description of me. I'll do whatever you want, Lord. I want you to do, no, well, not that. I was talking about a different topic. You're off topic, Lord. Try to, try to stay with me. I was talking about, no, 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 Rich. That's not what's happening. You're misunderstanding the whole situation. And when I go to the word, it'll speak to me. They said to Jeremiah, we'll do whatever God says. And then God said it. And then they said, no, we're not doing that. So I want to analyze this and think about it this morning. Because this idea of something being displeasing to me and how do I respond to it, 
their assertion, whether it's pleasing or displeasing. In fact, the Hebrew word for displeasing could be translated as evil. It would be as I'm, as I'm perceiving what's happening in my life, this is the good that I want, and this is not the good that I want. Like, like this isn't going to create my reality that I, in my mind, am desiring to have happen. And so I want something else to take place. And then God's word is saying, actually, you and I are in an agreement. <laughs> and so I'm telling you what I'm, I'm wanting to bend you in a different direction. And it's at that moment, really, that Christianity or a relationship with God through Jesus Christ this is where it becomes real, and this is where your life has power, and this is where, this is where the, how do I say it, like, cliche, like, the action is here, rubber meets the road, whatever. This is where you're going to make, get traction and make progress, is when you come to the Word of God, and it goes against what you're wanting to have happen, and you say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to do it. I'll do what you say. Now, these guys don't. They profess, though, that they will. And we have people making a profession but then we read forward. We just jump forward in time with them, and we realize when they hear something they don't want to hear, they don't do it. So we have the luxury. We're omniscient as Bible readers, right? We're like God in the story. Now, God knew right beforehand that when, 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 when we're reading chapter 42, God knew that was going to happen. And he tells Jeremiah ahead of time, hey, this is what they're going to do. I'm going to tell you to tell them not to go to Egypt, and then they're going to tell you no, we are going to Egypt. We don't care what you say. And God even says why that happens. And then we read chapter 43, and it actually happens the way God said it would happen. Now, you and I, when we're living through something, we're, we're in the moment by the moment. So if you came up to me after the service, you say, Rich, I, I'm going to do whatever God says. I'm looking at you. I go, wow, yeah, that's awesome, man. I'm so glad you're encouraged. Praise the Lord. I'm not going to be with I don't know that tomorrow you're not going to. But when you read the Bible, you do. Do you understand? Make use of the scripture because you get to look at people's decisions and then the consequences of those decisions and what happens over someone's life when they simply obey the scriptures. That's not a secret. That, that is what the Bible teaches. That is how you make progress as a believer. You want to impact the world and change the world? You're looking at the world wondering what is wrong with the world? You're here to be the solution. This is how. Take the word of God Take it to heart, pleasing or displeasing, do it. The Bible is meant to be a mirror that we can look into it and see ourselves. So I look into the story and I see them say, I'll do it no matter what it is. And then God says, do this. And then they go, well, I'm not doing that because I've done that lots of times. I find in me a tendency actually to be like this. I'm actually, I'm actually the kind of person that would say, I'll do it. And then later realize, oh, I wish I wouldn't have said I'll do it because I didn't know it was going to mean this. Now, I want you to think about their response. If you and I were tra time travelers, instead of reading the story, we were back in time, we knew the end, and we heard chapter 42, then we could jump and see the response. They actually say no, and then we could go back in time and look at them. Think, think of the look on their face when they come to Jeremiah, when we read chapter 42. What do their faces look like? Jeremiah, we'll do it. Do, they, do, do you think they're sincere? I think they are. Let me ask you another question. Do you think they could pass a polygraph when they say, we promise we'll do what God says no matter what it is, good or bad? If you, if you put them up to the polygraph, do you think they could pass it? I think they could. They're totally sincere. They're totally wrong. 
They have, a, they, have a, they have a very incorrect assessment of themselves. This isn't the only place, by the way, in the Bible where we see people struggling with this. There's a very famous person in the New Testament, our big brother, the fisherman, Peter. He's, he's constantly pretty sure of what he's going to be doing that actually doesn't happen. So th this isn't the only place in the Bible, but this is one of those places in the Bible where we can look really closely and compare these things. Do you think they believed what they were saying? And I think we'd say, well, yeah, I think they did. And actually, I'll show you in the scripture that, that God actually says uh, that they did. Look at chapter 42, verse 20. And we skipped this on purpose so that we could come back and look at it uh, from this angle. God describes their heart. And part of the answer that Jeremiah brought to them is in verse 20. God said this, For you were hypocrites in your hearts when you sent me to the Lord your God, saying, pray for us to the Lord our God and declare to, and, and, and according to all that the Lord your God says, so declare to us and we will do it. It's a very interesting statement. God says he knows what was going on in their heart when they made the request. And God, in the English translation here, is, he, he says you were hypocrites in your hearts. So you, you all know the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, right? The New Testament is written in Greek. They're not in English. It's not written in Old King James English, okay? Uh, Old Testament's written in Hebrew. New Testament is written in Greek. And the word hypocrite in Greek, it's the Greek word hypocrite. It's one of those places where it's called a transliteration where each sound of the letter is just brought into English. So when you say upokrito, that's a Greek word. You say, we just pronounce it a little bit slangy, you know, a little Americanized or whatever, hypocrite. But it's a Greek word, and the Greek word hypocrite means a play actor. So instead of translating it play actor, they just transliterated it, and we brought this Greek word into our English. But what a hypocrite is someone's pretending to be something that they're not. This is Hebrew, though, okay? It's not, there's no Hebrew word, quote-unquote, upokrito, that's Greek. This isn't the Hebrew word that means hypocrite. So you would say, well, wait a minute, it's my English translation that I'm reading, the New King James says, you were hypocrites in your heart. That's a, that's a fair translation because the word, the Hebrew word that's translating that action, it means to wander away. It's sometimes used to describe someone who's being deceived by somebody else. You've been deceived. It literally means, and its most basic form is to wander or to stagger off the path. This is somebody who's under the influence. They're staggering. And you're watching somebody go down the road and maybe you see someone on, what, what highway can you walk along where people are going too fast? And you see a drunk person and they're, you watch them stagger, you're like, they're gonna go out of the way. That's this word. You, you've wandered away. You've, in where? In your heart. And who's done it? There's another interesting thing about the original language. You were hypocrites in your hearts. In Hebrew, in, in their verbs, they can... Uh, they can add, they can change the stem of the verb to make an emphasis. We don't, we don't totally do something like this in English, but they definitely have it in Hebrew. Most of the time, like 80% of the time, when you're looking at Hebrew verbs, it's the normal stem, nothing extra about it. Sometimes, like around 20% of the time, there, there's a change in the spelling, which is emphasizing something. In this case, we have one of these verbs. The stem is changed a little bit to make an emphasis. The stem has changed, and in this case, it's the stem that emphasizes cause, its causation. Something's caused something. You use this when you're trying to emphasize that the person doing the action is the cause of the action. 
You're, you, 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 it's not like they stumbled into it, like they did it. It's their fault. They're the reason. That's the word. You led yourself astray in your heart. That's heavy. You led yourself astray in your heart. It reminds me of Jesus in, in his ministry. He was talking about the religious leaders, and he, he said, they're blind guides. The blind, and if the blind lead the blind, they're going to fall into the ditch, right? We have that as a figure of speech. The blind are leading the blind. That's a bad image. Here, let me help you. Can you see? No, well, I can't either. Let's go. Like, I need a person who can see. I'm blind. I need, no, no, it'll be fine. I've, I, I heard about this place. Like, no, we need someone who has light, someone who can see. You know what's worse than that image that Jesus gave, the blind leading the blind? What if I'm the blind and I'm the blind leader and I'm doing it to myself? That's, that's what God's saying. That's why I think probably hypocrite in your heart is it's probably okay translation. The action is you have led yourself astray in your own heart. They're making a profession. We'll do whatever God says. And God's saying, listen, that's not really true. That's not really true. You're not being honest with yourself. It's really important for all of us as believers, you come to the word of God, and I hope you do. I'm, I've been so thankful over the years hearing about the ministry here as it's gone on, you know, now many, many years, and, and thinking of the emphasis on the word. Uh, Jim is making his, uh, you know, he's always doing his devotional thing every day. I always love to read those. And, and here's what we're reading through as a congregation. We're going to go through the Bible, and there's a reminder, and you come to church, and you know where you're going to be in the Bible because you're going through the Bible. And if you go to this fellowship, they're looking at the word. And, and, and you know what's more important than all of that as a congregation is you individually go into the word of God on your own day by day and say, Lord, I'm not going to make it through the day without my daily bread. I need to hear from you. And when it's displeasing, especially when it's displeasing, you don't want to be the blind leading the blind. Like, oh, I don't like that verse. <laughs> Listen, I've been a pastor long enough. I've met with married couples. I always, and I, I guess maybe I'm getting cynical in old age. I don't know. Some of you are older. Any, don't raise your hand. I guess I don't want to know. But cynical, you know, where you, you see somebody, and I'm a pastor many years, so someone walks up and the wife walks up, like, I need to talk to you with my husband. Almost from the first sentence, I can think, oh, it's not going to go good for you. You got a little too much glee. You know, there's certain a way that, that it's phrased like, you need to talk to him. Between you and me, we can set him straight. You know, those married couples appointments where then the husband comes later and goes, I heard my wife talk to you, and I can't wait to sit down with both of you. You, you and I will be able to take her down. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just a tone or something. They're looking in their eyes like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Someone's going to know now. I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about like someone's being beaten or something horrible, but, you know, just the normal marriage excitement or wh whatever you want to call it. Like, you know, marriage, whatever, what, you know, the that loving expression of two becoming one. <laughs> There's a kind of a thing where I'm listening to the person talk and they're saying, we need to make an appointment. And I think, oh, are you, is the blind person led the blind person to me? You know, like he's the problem. And once we convince him that he is, my life will be way better. No, she's the problem. Once you and I can convince her of the error of her ways, there's one verse in the Bible that she needs to know above all others. It's the only verse I have memorized. <laughs> have you met the man who only has one verse memorized? It's the one for his wife. I've met that guy. 
He's like reincarnated and he's multiple. He's everywhere, man. That guy's everywhere. He's Californian, Floridian. He's in South America. That guy's everywhere. What, what is that guy? He's the blind leading the blind. When you hear what God says about marriage, what are you going to do about it? You're going to hear something unpleasant. If we sit down with your wife, but she's like, yeah, I can't wait for him to hear something unpleasant. I've been telling him unpleasant things this whole time. He just doesn't want to hear it. Well, you know what? You're also going to hear something unpleasant. And the way that we go forward in our lives is when we hear what God says, we say, you know what? That's right. The word of God. That's for me. I'm, I'm not wanting to look at these verses to sort of beat you up this morning. I'm the guest speaker. I'd rather just come in and uh, you know, put frosting on the cake and make you all happy. And, and we'll get to some frosting, okay, before we're done. But, but it's really, really important when we go to the Bible that you look at it honestly and ask yourself the question, am I leading myself astray in my heart when I come to the Bible and it says something to me that I don't want to do and so I shove that out? You're deceiving yourself. Don't do it. Don't do it. Because God has something so much better for you. God uses the word of God to transform us. The Bible says our minds can be renewed. God intends to take his word and put into us by the spirit a, a transformation, a, a supernatural power that only God could affect where he takes his nature and makes it mine and completely rewires me and changes me. So if I'm telling him no constantly, then no, you can't touch that circuit board. You can't reach into that area. If I'm telling him no constantly, I'm not going to experience what God wants for my life. Now, I, I want to say something about, you know, how the Bible describes itself. David, in terms of pleasant and unpleasant, related to this. David says, your word is like honey. And isn't the word like honey? You're, you're, I mean, think of the scripture songs that we're singing. A lot of the images uh, in the songs that we're singing, this is from this passage of scripture. This is from this passage of scripture. The worship this morning was so celebratory on these images from the Bible, victory and hope. And it's like honey. You're like, man, I love that song. I want to sing the name of Jesus. Oh, yeah, Lord. Because I know what my normal life is like. I know what's coming this week and challenges that we're facing or difficulties going on in my life. But that is true, and it's like honey. David said, I rejoice over your word like someone who finds a treasure or a great spoils or money. Like I won the lottery. And some verses in the Bible are like that. You're like, I think I won the lottery. Man, if that's true, my life is going to be forever changed. And it's true. The Bible's like that. There are other <laughs> images, though, or metaphors of the Bible. For example, the Bible's like a sword. That's, that's not necessarily pleasant, right? I, I guess if you're being attacked, it's pleasant. Like, oh, I can at least defend myself. But, you know, the Bible's going to be like a sword, like a sharp two-edged sword. It's going to pierce like that. Now is not pleasant. Wait, what do you mean? Yeah, you're going to come to church and it's going to be like the pastor is stabbing you. Where will he stab me? In the deepest part of who you are. Deep in your identity between soul and spirit. Doesn't Hebrews 4 verse 12 say that? Sharper than any two-edged sword. So this thing doesn't even have just one side that's sharp. It's both sides. This thing cuts you coming and going. And it pierces to the dividing of the soul and the spirit. The word of God is brought forth the deepest part of who you are is touched by the Spirit of God in a way that no human being could do it. God will do it. He'll get at your insecurities. Have you found that sometimes, maybe you're like this or maybe you know someone like this where you have these parts of your life and you put them in a safe, like a, like a fireproof safe, like I'm gonna lock this away 
God will never be able to get to it and spin the combination, you know, dial, and then we're all good. It's locked up. It's, it's a fireproof safe. And the Bible says God's word is like a, a fire. Now, fire can be comforting if it's really cold outside and, and you have a pot belly stove, a wood-burning stove, and you come in out of the cold and, and then you throw the wood in there and the room gets so warm. Fire is wonderful. Well, fire is also very destructive, isn't it? I live in California, Northern California, or at least Northern Central California, uh, just south of Sacramento. We had some fires not far from my house, about an hour away, hour and a half away. Worst fire that ever in the history of California. Most loss of life, most damage ever. And then the next year, we had one that was worse. Fire is terrible. The town of Paradise, if any of you are familiar with Northern California, the town of Paradise, and they call it Paradise for a reason. It's beautiful foothill country. The whole town burned down, completely burned down. Loss of life. It's just a horrible, horrible situation. Fire is not, well, it can be, it could be pleasant. If you're sitting by a roaring fire and you're freezing, yeah, it's pleasant, but it's also destructive. The word of God, it's like a sword. It's like a fire. What do you mean like a fire? Well, it means you open this up, you're going to get burned up. <laughs> you're going to get burned up. If, if, if someone invited you to church today, I promise you they were praying for you before you came that when you started getting the fire, <laughs> you were going to hang in there. The fire will burn through your fireproof safe. The thing you tried to hide away from God, you can't hide it from him. He knows. He knows the secret things in your life and he loves you. He knows it's there. You know it's there. He doesn't want you wandering yourself off in your heart, the blind leading the blind. So his word will be like fire. Jeremiah also said, here's another one. His word will be like a hammer. Is that one positive? It's pleasant if you're a carpenter. You carpenters, aren't you glad you have a hammer? You imagine framing a house using your forehead? Put that 16-penny nail up there and boom, knock it in. Some of you wish you could do that. Some of you maybe have tried. I don't know. Uh, a hammer is a wonderful thing. If you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're gonna roof a house and you're gonna put a slate roof on the house, you need the right hammer to bring you a lot of comfort, right? And someone walks up with a framing hammer uh, as a slate roofer, you're gonna say, "Hey, bro, don't, that, we don't want that hammer up here. You're gonna destroy the roof." We need a certain kind of hammer. It, it'll bring. It's the right tool for the right job. It brings a lot of comfort. But when the word of God's like a hammer, what's gonna happen to you with that hammer? Well, it's gonna hit you, and because you're you need to be bent. Think of a ball peen hammer. What do you use a ball-peen hammer for? You've got this rigid piece of material, some kind of metal, and you know as the artist, I need to bend this thing to my will because I'm going to create something wonderful. And that metal says, over my dead metal body. It, I'm not going to move. And then you say, well, oh, yeah, you are. I'm going to use a little bit of fire on you, and then I'm going to use a little bit of my hammer on you, and you're going to do what I say. And th those are interesting metaphors for the Bible. So especially if you're new to Christianity, welcome to the team. Uh, get ready, because here it comes. But isn't it wonderful to think that when God looks at my life and I look at my life, I don't have to be the blind leading the blind. I can say, Father, what do you want to do with this mess? I seem to be bent the wrong direction. And God said, that's okay, I got a big hammer. No, but Lord, I'm really bent. That's okay, I got some fire. I'll heat you up, then I'll hit you. Okay, Lord, but can you make it fast? No, I can't. I mean, I'll do it in my own perfect timing. You find out as a believer that that's good news, don't you? 
See, this passage is in the Bible. God's not trying to embarrass Israel in their history. He's not trying to make us anti-Semitic. He's not trying to make us think, what's wrong with these people? He's telling us the truth about individuals so we could look at these events in their lives and say, you know what, that's pretty common. That's a pretty common experience. I think I do that way too often. You know what, Lord, hearing what your word says, please give me strength so that I don't do this anymore. You see, the new covenant, the new covenant that Jesus came to make possible with his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead is to usher in a new way of connecting with God. No longer through the law on the outside, which could only show us that we need a savior, but now he's the savior. He came to inaugurate a new living way through his own life and death and resurrection that now I come to God directly through Jesus. And the Bible says, when you come to God through Jesus, your heart gets changed. You have an old stony heart, it gets taken out, and you get a brand new heart that's totally different. And the Bible says that the Spirit of God writes the Word of God on your heart. On your heart. So that even John says, you don't have need for someone to teach you. Some of you maybe are new Christians. You probably know more than you know that you know. You could be in a situation and say, this is wrong. I don't know what Bible verse there is. I don't even know the Bible, but I can't do this. This is wrong. Well, how do you know it's wrong? I just know that it is. I can't do that. Right? You've had that experience. Or you've, maybe you're is a little different. You've been a Christian a long time. You know it's in the Bible. You've read it. You just forgot it. I know it's wrong. Don't ask me where it is. I'll Google it. I'll find it for you. But this is, the Spirit of God inside of you is telling you, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Or this is the time for you to enter in. This is the time for you to sacrifice. The Spirit of God inside of us. We're looking at this passage and we're trying to say, what can I learn about myself? Well, here's a human tendency. Lord, I'll do it, but I'm leading myself astray. I'm the cause of my own blind leading the blind. And I find out when, when God tells me something I don't want to hear. The application is pretty simple. When God tells you something, do it. Pleasing or displeasing. And I would just encourage you in your marriage, as a parent, as a son or daughter, maybe as a grandchild, as a coworker, as a boss, as a person in the conglomeration, whatever, whatever your place is in any situation, and the Spirit of God's taking the Word of God and He starts to speak to you and you think, how can I go apologize to my 14-year-old when he's the real problem? And the Spirit of God's saying, you need to go tell him you're sorry because you did what you did. But if I, I need you, I'm telling you to go do this. Doesn't that happen to you? Don't be these people. Because they said, we'll do it. We'll do it. It's church, third service, we rule. I'm waking up. I'm from California, man. First service here in Vero Beach starts at 5 a.m. I was sleepy. But so were they, so it's like mutual. Second service, what is that, like 6.30? I was like, I'm barely awake. 11, you're my people. I love you guys. You come to church at a normal time. <laughs> My people, don't be these people. We are these people. Don't, don't let this be a chapters in your life where, yeah, the Lord told me that and I told him no. Don't do it. Especially when it comes to giving your life to Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. Well, I'm a good person. I'm sure you are. Are you good enough to stand before God in his holiness 
and give an account of your life and become and come out sinless? If God played back the movie of your life, everything you ever said, everything you ever thought, not just, not just your whole life, let's just say last week. And you're gonna be able to say, I never sinned? Submit and say, Lord, you're right. I'm a sinner. Christ died for sinners. And you're offering forgiveness through his sacrifice for me? I receive it. And then enter into that relationship with God, the simplicity that's in Christ. Get in the word. And when it's displeasing, especially when it's displeasing, be a person said, yeah, the Lord spoke to me. It's displeasing, but we're going to do it his way. We did it my way long enough. We're going to do it his way. Father, we pray for help. We pray that your spirit would encourage us. I thank you for uh, each person here this morning and the work you're doing in their lives. And I thank you, Lord, that you know each one of us. And Jesus, you even told us that the hairs of our head were numbered. So we know that you know the details. We know that the significant things, much more significant than the number of hairs on our head, uh, the doctor's news that came or what's going on with the grandchild that's still in the hospital or, or the, the industry that we're in, the challenge that we're facing at work, the difficulties, all these things, Lord, that are facing it. All of us, Lord, that we're looking at it, we don't understand. We thank you that you have a plan. We thank you that your word is pleasant. Oh, the, the promises of God are so good, Lord. You're so faithful to us. But we also thank you that you speak the truth that you tell us the truth about ourselves, that you don't leave us the way that we are, that you intend to conform us to the image of your son. And so as a congregation, much like these folks in, in this story, they're a congregation and they say, we'll do whatever God says. We don't trust ourselves, Lord. We're asking you, help us. We want to say, we'll do whatever you say, pleasing or displeasing, but we know ourselves too well. We're looking into the mirror of the word. We see ourselves. And so we're asking you, Jesus, have mercy on us. And we're asking you to pour out your spirit on us. And I pray for the marriages represented right now in this room, in this place. I pray for every single marriage that needs to change by somebody taking seriously the word of God. That husband and wife would both take seriously the word. Families would change. That Lord, this whole country would change. The world would change when one person decides I'm gonna do what God says. So help us, Lord, pour out your spirit on us. We pray for the work that you're doing in all of our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Rich Chafin. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Rich's teaching ministry by visiting cclc.org.